cloud. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back to another conversation at the Bitcoin Stoa. As a reminder, this is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support our work by sending some sats to the QR code on our website at bitcoinstoa.com. Or you can stream sats using a Bitcoin wallet that has a podcast feature like Breeze or Fountain. Um, and those experiences are improving by the month, it seems. Uh, current Moscow time is 33.09 at 7.40.056. And with that said, it is my honor to welcome Andy Schoonover to the STOA for a conversation about healthcare and the company he leads, which is called CrowdHealth. Andy, thanks for being here and welcome to the STOA. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time and very excited to hear about what you're cooking up at CrowdHealth. Um, I heard your conversation with Marty Bent and it was the first mm -hmm. time, uh, to be quite frank, that I got really excited about a health-related project that has the capacity to make a serious dent and disrupt disease care. And uh, I'm formally trained as a physical therapist, so I sort of saw the perverse incentives firsthand. And when you take an honest, objective look at the current societal incentives, uh, you kind of can't help but notice that treating disease is very profitable. And that's a big part of the problem. So, you know, if there's zero incentive to promote health, everyone ends up diseased and broken. Um, so before we get into your work at crowd health, I always like to start by hearing people's Bitcoin story. So I would love to hear yours. Um, you know, when and how Bitcoin came across your path, maybe a few of the more significant moments, but feel free to share in as much detail or as little detail as you want. Yeah, man, I, I first, um, encountered Bitcoin. I mean, pretty early on, um, and you know, I, I heard about it. I'm, I'm, I'm always a, a, a bit of a contrarian just by, by nature, my personality. I, I don't know, we can do a, a psychological test on that as to why that is, but I just tend to be a contrarian. And, um, you know, it was, it was probably 10 years ago, um, maybe not quite 10 years ago, where I, I heard about Bitcoin and, and what, what Bitcoin was doing. And I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was like, man, I, I just want to put, you know, 10 grand into this and just see what happens. Because if this thing is, is, real and true it's going to be gigantic right mm. and i i think i may get the, the numbers wrong a little bit but it was at you know 200 bucks or something like that or 600 or something it was like w wicked low and i'm and yeah and my buddy um not being the contrarian was like man that is the dumbest ten thousand dollars you will ever <laughs> invest and um and he's smarter than me and so i was like okay fine you know that i won't won't do it. I don't know what that $10,000 would be today. I could probably do the math, but it'd be a lot of freaking money. Uh, yeah. and, I was, and so I'm kicking myself uh, for not doing that. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, almost a decade and I was uh, having um, lunch with Jimmy Song, who I think many of your, your listeners probably know. Um, Jimmy is, you know, an, an author of uh, a philosopher of Bitcoin and um, he and I were having lunch and he, he orange pilled me. Um, and he's a technical and, guy too. Like, I don't think you get that mix often where people can communicate really effectively, but also have a deep understanding of uh, like literally the code and can actually read code. So yeah, he's uh he's one of those people, I think. Yeah. And, and so Jimmy, Jimmy orange pilled me, as he said, um, nice. Jimmy and I have become friends. Um, and so I invested first in Bitcoin about a year ago. And I, you know, I think for the first six months looked brilliant and then the last six months haven't been so great, but, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm in it for long-term. I totally believe that we've got, you know, kind of parallel systems here that are both busted 
being the monetary system and the healthcare system. Hmm. And I think if we can team up, we can actually very much help each other in our missions, right? Um, and we can talk more about that. But um, you know, so I'm 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 a Bitcoiner. I, I recently, um, you know, I, I I'm I'm still learning um, a lot, and I so I value you know folks like you who know it a lot better than me um, and your insights. And there are many times probably on this podcast where we're like, I, I don't know, you know, help me understand you know how this can work. But you know, I will say that I originally was kind of like uh, a rookie in elementary school person. So I went on Coinbase. I bought my things on Coinbase. I held it on Coinbase and. It wasn't until recently where I transferred, you know, that all over into a, a cold wallet on an unchained, um, you know, so I got my treasures, you know, all, and so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty cool, you know, Bitcoiner now that I've, I've got it all in, in kind of cold storage. So anyway, um, that's my, I Bitcoin think being a Bitcoiner story. is a, it's kind of like health. It's like, it's a process of curiously yeah. exploring Bitcoin. It actually never ends because Bitcoin moves so fast that you do a bunch of work and then you realize, oh, I'm actually even further behind because Bitcoin's just moving way faster. So I think we're all on the continuum of learning about Bitcoin. Um, and uh, if you're curious, that's all it takes, really. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. And you know, what's, it's, it's incredible to me is, is the community is just so kind. Um, mm, you know, we, generous we, we started this, this, this Bitcoin service at CrowdHealth, which I know we'll get into. But my, my uh, kind of inside sales guy was telling me literally yesterday, he's like, man, the Bitcoin people who call in are so fun to talk to, mm. right? They're, 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 they're nice they ask really great questions. They're inquisitive and curious without being, you know, uh, assuming bad intentions, you know? Um, and so it's just, it's, it's fun to be a part of the community. And, and um, for, for a community that likes to be, um, I, I forget what you all call it, like the sovereign human or something like that, or human sovereignty or whatever, like there is a tight community here. Um, you know, it's, and, and so I, I love that about Bitcoin. I love community. I think, you know, especially with like COVID the last couple of years, we've lost so much of that community feel. Mm. Um, Bitcoin is just a, a beautiful community that is so welcoming of, of everybody, um, you know, unless you own, you know, Doge, right? <laughs> and even then, <laughs> we'll just, we'll so, educate you, right? You're not, don't throw everyone's... me under the bus. I only own Bitcoin. I don't any, <laughs> own any other crypto. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a great community to be a part of. So I'm, 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 we feel very welcome as a part of the community, um, which has been great. Awesome. Yeah, I think Bitcoiners are very, um, the thing about Bitcoiners is they're doers, right? And like they recognize proof of work when people are doing, not just saying like, oh, this is a problem, you know, healthcare is a problem. It's like people who are actually doing things to build solutions. And I, I also think that Bitcoiners have this really deeply ingrained thread uh, along with health, which is Bitcoiners take responsibility, right? They're mm -hmm. taking responsibility for understanding money and then, you know, understanding many parts about the systems in society. But I think fundamentally with health, really, that revolves around taking responsibility too, right? Not forfeiting your responsibility to be well to other people, to the knowers, but actually taking back some of your sovereignty and independence to understanding how to take care of yourself. And the totally. cool thing about Bitcoin is when you use money that doesn't steal your time, you have a bunch of extra time to figure out how to take care of yourself. Yeah, amen. So it's, it, I think there's a, there's a good matchup there. Um, well, and so, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the perverse incentives in healthcare, right? But yes. um, uh, most of it, it at its core is people don't want to take personal responsibility for their own healthcare. They're right. expecting others to take care of them, right? And as such, they don't take care of themselves, right? Yeah. And so our whole healthcare system would be fixed 
if people would actually take care of their bodies, right? Um, 80% of chronic conditions are preventative. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, most of the time, it's because you're overweight, you, you know, are a smoker, you know, other kind of, you don't work out, right? Like, those are the three primary um, reasons why you'll have chronic conditions. And it's like, man, like, we could solve that. We could solve that um, without crowd health, you know? Um, and so, but, you know, a lot of these Bitcoiners, they take care of themselves. They work out. I was at Bitcoin 22 in Miami, um, you know, walking through the halls. I was like, it's, it's either because we're at a Bitcoin conference or we're in Miami, but these, all these people are significantly more healthy than the average person. Like you can just look at them, right? Yep. Like our members BMI is, four points lower than the national average in the United States, right? So we have people who are taking care of themselves just clearly by, you know, a, a body mass index calculation. Hmm. Um, so it's, it, and it's great to be a part of a community to, you know, fund each other's healthcare. If you've got a community of people who want to take care of themselves, like that in itself will just lower healthcare costs. So it's, it's, uh, we've got a pretty cool, pretty cool thing going. I mean, you talk, you know, you're saying the word community and like, when I think about it, community is the OG form of disease insurance, mm -hmm. right? And I, was, I want to talk about language at some point too, because I think the the term health insurance is kind of a known, is kind of like a misnomer, right? Really what yeah. is disease insurance? If you get diseased, it's insurance to protect you. And this idea well, that- it in a different way, it's, it should be sick care, not health care, right? Yes. Disease insurance or sick care, one to the yes. two. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, back in the back in the far back days, like if you live in a hunter gatherer tribe, your form of disease insurance, if you get sick or injured, is your community, right? People help you, people help get food, you know, people people help you. Um, and I think we've gotten away from that. It sounds like what you're doing at Crowd Health is sort of bringing the back the human aspect of your community being your form of disease insurance. So why don't we get into Crowd Health? And I think. A way to open this, one of my favorite quotes is from Bucky Fuller, and he said, instead of fighting the existing system, create a new one that makes the old one obsolete. And that really made me think of what you're doing at CrowdHealth, because it, you know, it sounds like something that is very different and, and doesn't seek to fight the regulation and the nonsense that's in the current system. I, sometimes things are just too far gone, and you just have to do something so radically different that you end up just obsoleting the old shitty system. Yeah. So let's well, start I was joking with Marty. Right. And you heard me on Marty's. I was like, we just need to burn it down. Like we need yeah. the old system system to be burnt down and it'll burn and, itself and, down. Really? Yeah. And exactly. And I was like, I hope the ATF doesn't call me, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that um, the, the old system has got to just disappear. There's no, nothing incremental about the old system that can be done to save it. Right. Yes. Cause if there was, then I'd try it, but I've been in healthcare for, for long enough. I've been in healthcare for, 15 years um, to know that there are, are not, there are too many perverse incentives and too much money in lobbyist groups to make the changes required to actually, you know, change the system significantly. Mm. Um, all of them, all the changes will be incremental. And by that time, you know, we'll all be dead. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it, it's just not, not, I, I think a, a realistic, um, you know, idea to think that we can incrementally change this and, and fix it. I agree. You can't do small permutations on a totally busted system. Yeah. It just doesn't get you to where you want to go fast because this is an urgent thing, right? People underestimate, I think the urgency 
in where we're headed if we stay the course. Um, so I'm a big fan of why, how, what that Simon Sinek uh, trio mm -hmm. is like, you know, why did you create crowd health and what's the mission? How does crowd health achieve that mission? And what is crowd health for someone who knows nothing sure. about, because most people listening probably won't know anything about it. So getting fresh ears in a really simple way, why'd you create it? How does it achieve the mission and what is it? Um, yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear you talk about it. Yeah, and so my my context is is the a United States context. So you know, for your listeners in in Canada, where I know you are, it might be a little bit different. But um, so a, a lot of what I probably say w w may not make sense. From, Most people Canadian. that listen, I believe, are from the United States, so okay, that might great. make it easier. So, so I was running a healthcare company. Um, uh, we were doing uh, basically remote patient monitoring, so we were monitoring chronic condition folks with chronic conditions out of their homes we were monitoring their blood pressure and their weight and their things and so if that went awry like your you know blood sugar spiked we would call you because we would know that and say hey let's talk about the meds you're on and what you're eating things like that i sold that company and as such i didn't have health insurance so most of us get health insurance through our employer um so i, I rolled off that company didn't have health insurance went to healthcare.gov which is the newer, you know, relatively new marketplace where we can go and get health insurance. Um, but it's government owned, basically. Um, so I went on to healthcare.gov and found a plan for me, my wife and my two girls. And it was 1200 bucks a month, which is just what I thought we had to pay, right? Mm -hmm. um, huge deductible. And so it worked, I kind of joke, it worked until I had to use it. Um, my, my little one was having recurring ear infections. And so we went to the ear, nose and throat doctor who said she needed to get tubes in her ears. So we went to the local hospital, got tubes in her ears. It was a 15 minute procedure and got the bill and it was $8,000. And I was like, holy crap, $8,000 for 15 minutes. That's when I knew like something's wrong. Like it was really the first time that I actually had to use healthcare because I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Um, you know, I, I didn't see any of the bills from my kid's birth. So I first first kind of interaction with these bills, I was like, this is nuts, you know? And so, um, but I was like, I have health insurance. Like, that's what this is for. Um, and so had health, in, got, you know, I thought the health insurance plan was going to pay it. I got something in the mail that said it was medically unnecessary, so they weren't going to pay it. So I went through two rounds of this conflict resolution that they have within the health plan. They still said they weren't going to pay it. That's why I had to stroke a check for $8,000 to the local hospital. And the number one reason I know that it was necessary is my daughter's ear infections stopped. <laughs> um, and this was, by the way, if she had continued to have these ear infections, she was going to lose her hearing. So this was for sure medically necessary. Yeah, that sounds pretty necessary to me. Pretty necessary. You know, you have a doctor sitting there who's like, I'm, he took a, he, he delayed his vacation for a day to do this procedure because he was so worried about her long-term hearing loss. Like, and then the health insurance plan said, no. How did we they weasel no out of that? Like, how is that even allowed to happen? That's so it, we weird. We have no recourse. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's fiat, right? It's like, yeah. I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it and you have no recourse. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think I mostly, I got pissed off because I had no recourse and I got pissed off because it was my kid. And so I called the health insurance plan. I was like, all right, fine. Like if you're not going to pay my bills, I'm not paying your bills. And so I quit. Mm -hmm. So my family and I have been uninsured for the last two and a half years or so. Um, we said, okay, how can we do this? How can we viably operate outside of health insurance? And so we, you know, over two years kind of built some tools to allow us to, to operate outside of health insurance. The culmination of that was 
Crowd Health, uh, which we started last year. And um, in, in essence, Crowd Health is that, that set of tools to allow people to ditch their health insurance. You know, I say cancel health insurance. If you want to cancel something, let's be cancel health insurance um, and, and operate outside of, of that kind of legacy system. So um, that's kind of the, the origin story of, of Crowd Health. And, and so we've been going for about a year, a little year and a half now. Um, and uh, have just been, it's been, been an awesome experience. The people who join love it. Um, they love the freedom of not having to deal with health insurance um, to get approval for their care through their health insurance provider. So um, that's, that's the, the, I think the how. Um, uh, the why and the how. So yep. The why and the how. There you go. The why and the, the, the how. Um, mechanically. Of what? Like what are the mechanics of yeah. what crowd health is? Yeah, mechanically. So, you know, typically what you would do is you would send your premium check to your health plan and the health plan would have this big pool of capital, right? Uh, it's a risk pool that they would pay claims out of this risk pool. Um, you know, the problem with that is that this, this, this risk pool is, is a fiat, right? So it's a depreciating asset. So it's melting. So it's melting. And therefore, to keep the pool up, they have to charge you more. Right. So our, our healthcare costs have something like tripled since Obamacare started, you know, 10 years. I mean, it's just crazy. Right. Um, and so uh, so that that's the problem. So what I was thinking is like, look, why don't I put money into my own account? So every month I put two hundred dollars per person into my own account. Um, it is a, a this is the fiat version. I'll get to the Bitcoin version here in a minute. So two hundred dollars in an account every month, that account it starts, you know, accumulating assets. If someone in the community has a health event, then crowd, they will come, they will submit that health event to crowd health. Crowd health will just make sure that it's right. And that we negotiate it down for them. And then once we do those two things, we'll throw it out to the community and we'll say, Hey, the schoonovers have a uh, ear tubes that they had to pay for. Um, they're going to pay the first $500 of that. Will you help them with the remaining piece of that? Right. So that remaining seventy five hundred dollars will ask seventy five people to throw in a hundred bucks hmm. and they can do that or they can not do that. Um, they, it's totally volunteer. So it's more like crowdfunding. And but they they do that because what we have is an internal reputation score that says, hey, if, uh, you know, Mike, you know, is asked 10 times for uh, to help and he only says yes, one out of 10 times he's not being a very good member of the community. And so he's got a reputation score of 10 out of a hundred. So mm. when Mike has a health event, he, and he contributes it to the community, the community will see Mike doesn't, isn't not a very good community member. So they're probably not going to fund Mike. Interesting. Right? I didn't know that element. That's a really cool gamification. Like it's basically a social uh, it's the social element, right? Where yeah. it's like reciprocity based. That's so cool. Yeah, and so th this reputation score is is kind of the is is the reciprocity engine that drives what we what we do. Um, it allows us to be totally voluntary, totally community, and you know, and and it is truly like crowdfunding. Um, mm. And so we we're, we look more like a crowdfunding site than we do a health insurance company. But you know, I I don't feel like people should be forced to give others money. Um, for anything, um, candidly. Um, but if I'm incentivized to do that, then that's great. Like, I think that's, that is a, a, a good market-based system to do that. So um, 
Thus far, uh, 98% of the people who we've asked have said yes to crowdfund. Um, every bill that has been you know, submitted and approved has been crowdfunded. Wow. Um, and this is from a $35 pediatrician bill to a you know, $150,000 know, ER bill. Um, you know, kind of the whole range has been, have been funded. Um, members have used only used 30% of the, the money that they put in thus far. So, you know, for every hundred dollars that I put into the, my, my account, I've only used $30 of it. Wow. The cool thing about crowd health is when you leave, if there's money still in your account, you get it, you take it with you. Um, and so this is not like a health insurance plan where you, or, or, you know, in, in Canada, you know, you, you, you give money to your health insurance you know, whatever federal health insurance thing, and you never see it again. This is you put it in. And if you have money left when you leave crowd health, we don't want you to leave. But if you do, you get that money back um, that whatever you have left in there. So um, as I was talking to Jimmy about this, he said, man, that's cool. I love that. But what if and instead of putting money into an account, why don't you take a piece of that and convert it to Bitcoin? an appreciating asset so that you actually have a big chunk of your assets, you know, being appreciating. And if it all, if it goes to, you know, $500,000, like we think it will, um, then you're actually, you know, investing in Bitcoin in addition to investing in your healthcare. Right. And so if you, if, if that Bitcoin had a value of $2,000 when you put it in and it goes up, you know, 10 X it's worth $20,000. And so then yeah. you can either take that and cold store that, or you can take that and convert it to dollars and use it for your healthcare. Um, but it's, it's now an appreciating asset as opposed to a depreciating asset. And the folks that are contributing and converting to Bitcoin are all going to be, sh be sharing each other's funds. So if you join our Bitcoin crowd, um, you're, it's all Bitcoiners sharing with Bitcoiners, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a bunch of people our average age is like 33. Um, like I said, our BMI is about four to five points lower than the national average. It's people who take care of themselves. And so you're self-selecting for healthier people unintentionally. You, you, and it, but it's, yeah, it's self-selecting. And people, you know, from the outside looking in said, oh, well, you're just picking off pe the healthy people. And I'm like, no, no, no. These healthy people are self-selecting. It's not me picking them off. Hmm. Like we allow all kinds of people in, but the, the people who want to do this are self-selecting. And I don't think they should be, um, uh, you know, penalized for self-selecting into, into this group, you know, um, nor do I think they should be penalized for other people's bad choices, <laughs> um, yes. you know, ultimately. So it, what is it, the, um, out of curiosity, sorry to interrupt, the, the sweet spot in terms of community size. So it sounds like you have like almost these pods of communities that are, that are forming. I don't know if they're. Uh, geographically based, or if it's just uh, like in a in straight up in a digital world, doesn't matter where you are in the states. Like you, you join a community. What's the sweet spot or the cap, or have or, or are you still figuring this out? Because I mean, it's a fairly new yeah. thing. It sounds like you have some good data and very promising. But um, you know, like, do you put a cap on community size where that's the sweet spot to have enough money to cover like a significant uh, event if it happens? Um, do you have that number? And if so, what, it, what, what, what do you envision yeah, that number it's, being? It's more, it's, it's, um, it, it's more a, a minimum, right? So, okay. you know, we, we think that a thousand people gets us to a place of, you know, feeling very, very comfortable that, um, you know, if there's a big bill, then there's a community of people there that can help you with it. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the beautiful thing about this model is, um, 
and I, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole here, but the, the awesome thing about this model is I've got more ability to negotiate than United Healthcare does, which is one of the largest companies on the planet, right? So people always ask, like, what happens with the big events, right? If you have a NICU baby, for example, that could be a million dollar bill, right? Mm -hmm. and, the, and the community doesn't want to get stuck with a million dollar bill. Right. United Healthcare has to pay a million dollars to that hospital because that's the negotiated contract. We don't have negotiated contracts. And so I am ultimately, if, I, if I, my wife has a baby and it's in NICU, I am ultimately responsible for that bill, but the community is going to help me with it. And so the, the hospital has a choice to make. They can go after the schoonovers for a million bucks and they know the schoonovers aren't going to be able to pay it. Right. Or they can negotiate. And so what we're seeing is a 60 to 70% reduction in that bill because they want to negotiate with me because they want to get paid. 60 to 70%? Yeah. So yeah. how, what? That's insane. Yeah. So, so where does that come from? So that, where does that value come from? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's total, you know, BS in, in the healthcare market. Like there's no way that a 30 day, um, you know, NICU uh, stay is a million dollars. It does not cost that hospital a million dollars. Right. There's it costs many straws that hospital in that a fraction of that. Right. And so we will negotiate that bill down. So a United Healthcare needs this big, huge risk pool to be able to take care of those huge events. For us, we won't have those big million dollar events because we're going to negotiate with the hospital. Hmm. And those are going to be like, $300,000 events and the hospital will finance those for free over, you know, two years. So just to make the math easy, I mean, it's like 10 grand a month for two years, right? If I have a minimum of a thousand people, that's like 10 bucks a month per person. Wow. Um, and that's really small, right? Like that's, that's a tiny percentage of what you've put in that month for a very, very large event. So you don't need that inefficient risk pool on the back end. Like we just talked about that's melting. Right. And so it's just a totally different way of thinking about how you do this. Um, it's, it's more of a decentralized, you know, uh, quote unquote risk pool. Right. Because we got thousands of people with a thousand bucks in their in their accounts or a few thousand bucks in their account, um, as opposed to one big risk pool owned by a central authority that has the full right to, to, to use that risk pool to pay a claim or not. Right. And so we're decentralizing that. And it's in a thousand different bank accounts. The other thing I found very curious when you're giving some examples on when you're talking to Marty is this whole idea that um, you have negotiating leverage by offering doctors cash, right? This idea yeah, that big time. if you go through a hospital network, you have all these straws that are in the milkshake, all these middlemen that yeah. are essentially trying to squeeze, that are trying to extract value in the form of rent seeking from this pool of capital, which they see as an opportunity to make money. Whereas when you go directly to the professional, you know, I've done, I've done uh, podcasts with physicians in the United States that talk about this idea that when I do um, a cash procedure, it's a fraction of what I would charge for the hospital. So can you talk a little bit about where is the difference in that spread coming from? Why can a doctor accept less for cash um, to give some context to people who might not understand that dynamic? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll just give you kind of an example to give you like just real, real world. Um, we had a member in uh, in Wisconsin who went to the uh, went to the hospital for a cardiac or a heart issue. Thought he was having a heart attack, and it, it, it turns out that there was something wrong with his heart. But it was it could be taken care of with a procedure that his local hospital told him was was going to be eighty three thousand dollars. 
Um, and so they came to us and they said, Hey, it's, this is going to be 83 grand. We're just letting you know. And we said, okay, well, can we negotiate that rate? And they said, sure. And so we found a place in Chicago that would do it for $44,000. And this is 90 minute drive. So hmm. 90 minutes was 40,000. Uh, we found a place in Oklahoma city by a guy who does more of these procedures than anybody else in the country who would do it for $22,000. Wow. And that's a, that's a thousand miles away. So a thousand miles away and it's $60,000 difference. Right. And a part, you know, and so we actually ended up uh, giving that couple two first class tickets to Oklahoma city. We put them up in the nicest, you know, hotel in the, in the city for three nights. We paid for all of their food and we paid them $2,500 to do it. And we still wow. saved like 50 grand. Right. Um, oh my God. That's and so, insane. you know, it's, it's crazy how you can actually negotiate these, these bills. And that's, and, and, and so that's kind of leads me to like, why, like, why are you able to do this? Well, mm. doctors have to um, pre-authorize oftentimes um, their, their procedure with the health plan. So they have to call the health plan. They have to say, here's the procedure I'm doing. They have to provide them with a bunch of medical records. And then the health plan can say yay or nay, like you can do that or not do that. Right. And so the doctors spend about 30% of their time dealing with health plans, whether it's pre-auths or billing. And so if they can get that time back, they can see 30% more, or, you know, ultimately the math is almost 50% more patients. And that's probably painful time too. Like as painful. a doctor, it's painful. You go um, through all the school and you have to ask permission to some, uh, you know, schmuck on the phone that basically says whether you're allowed to do something that's needed for your patient or not. Like that's, that would be painful. And oftentimes it's not a doctor, right? right. Like oftentimes they have to get approval from a person who's not a doctor, who's never seen this patient, who doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Right? Which is, and, like does math. That's what the person does. Exactly. The risk adjusted and, and, number. And we're getting a, a record number of doctors getting burned out because hmm. of this issue. Um, and so we take that away from them. So that's one part. Second part is if you bill health insurance plan, they bill through their electronic medical record. And that electronic medical record are called EMR. People in this industry call it an EMR. They take six to 10% off the top for just transaction fees. So, you know, you have a, a, a MasterCard or Visa debit card, like that's a percent, percent and a half, something like that. Your credit card is two, two and a half percent. This is somewhere between six and 10. It can even go to 12. So it's somewhere in that range, just off the top, gone. They never see it. Plus, you have to have billing people. So ultimately, what I'm saying here is like, if I can go and I can give them a credit card when I show up, right? Or I can wire them money beforehand. That saves them all of those fees. Or so pay them in Bitcoin. You know, or do it in Bitcoin. And that's ultimately like version two. We'd love to figure out a way to do that in Bitcoin. But, and then the transaction fees would really be zero, um, you know, especially since some of the new stuff that we're seeing coming out. Um, so we're taking away all that from the doctor. So we're getting 30 to 40% discounts from the doctors um, for, you know, just run of the mill procedures. So we had a, a procedure in Austin just in the last couple of weeks where it was a torn ACL um, health plan in Austin will pay about $20,000 for a torn ACL. And I think we paid like 12,500. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, and because we paid the, the, the doc um, on the day of the procedure um, as opposed to 60 or 90 days later with all the pre-offs, with all the processing fees, with all that stuff. And doctors, I'm telling you what, man, doctors, I get more people reaching out to me 
um, than anyone is doctors. Like they reach out and be like, man, I love this model. How do I get more of your of course. Please give me, I want to get outside the, the racket of the health insurance space. Yeah. And so doctors are, are some of our biggest fans. I mean, people think, look at our model and they're like, oh my gosh, well, doctors must be pissed because you're taking 30 or 40% away from them. I was it's like, not coming no, out of their pocket. they love it yeah. because they will take, you know, 60 or 70% of what they pay health plans any all day long. So um, it's been, it's just been awesome to get the feedback from the docs. Powerful. So you just basically exploited this market inefficiency that is just there in the legacy system. Um, and you've cut off all the fat and you've literally just delivered more value. You've delivered a better service for a cheaper price to the end consumer. Like it, it's so, it actually sounds crazy that you can do this, that there's that much inefficiency built in the system that doesn't need to be there. And I guess one question I have, like I, you know, you talked about it on with Marty, but I would love for you to share, you know, cause I think this is actually really important. How does crowd health make money? Yeah. And why is that important? Because the way it works right now, like even the EMR company, for example, the more money that changes hands, the more money EMR makes because they make a percentage of the money changing hands. So everyone in this legacy system is essentially incentivized to make shit more expensive yeah, and not actually increase the quality, not deliver more value. It's like completely, complete perverse incentive. So how does crowd health make money? Um, and then maybe we could talk about why that's important because this fundamental incentive structure really did, you know, I heard John Vallis say this recently, and I think it was really powerful. We become our incentives as a company, you totally. become your incentives as a, you know, I, I saw it firsthand as a physio, as a physio, I became, regardless of how good my intentions are, I became the incentives that I was faced with in the world of business. When I ran a practice mm -hmm. in that my incentive is to see people for more visits and to not solve their problem. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that physios are, are actively trying to not solve problems, right? They're, I think at the end of the day, we just have to look at the incentive and say, if you want to see the outcome, show me the incentive. And I think sure. as a physio, I'm incentivized to never solve people's problems because then um, the money coming in stops. And so how does crowd health make money and why is that important? Yeah, so um, interestingly, um, to just real quick on kind of the perverse incentives. Uh, so in, in, in the U.S., uh, health plans are maxed out at what they can make on, uh, you know, as a percentage of premium. So if I make, uh, if my family's premium is a thousand dollars, again, just to make the math easy, um, you're maxed out at 20% of that to use for administrative fees and profit. So um, they can only, you know, max profit you can get from that basically is 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, everybody looking outside in was like, oh, great. We don't want health insurance plans to like scam us or, you know, take too much of our money. But the problem is, is like, these are for-profit entities. Right. And so the only way that they can make more profit is to have your premium go up, right? If you want your premium to go, or you want your revenue to go from $200 to $400 per member, your premium has to go from $1,000 to $2,000. So they actually right. have an incentive for premiums to go up, which I think is screwed up. Right. Totally screwed up. Unbelievable. For us, it is we, we take us uh, just a, it's a subscription fee. It's a monthly subscription fee. Right. And so our incentive is to get more people into the community, which benefits the community because um, the more people you have to pay, you know, help pay for these bills, the more viable it becomes. Right. The bigger yeah. the community, the, the more money you have to help out with some of these health bills. So we're, we're totally aligned. Um, the second way we make money is from negotiating some of these contracts. So 
we take uh, 20% of the savings when we negotiate. So if you have a hundred th- or you know, whatever, a $50,000 um, uh, emergency bill, ER bill, and we negotiated it down to 30,000. So the community saves 40,000 or $20,000. We take 20% of that. So 4,000. So we have an incentive to negotiate it down as far as possible, which benefits the community. It benefits us. We're totally aligned in that. Right. Dude, that is so revolutionary because on both fronts, you you're aligned with providing better value, better service for less money. Yeah. You become your incentives. So if that's the case, people in these communities will end up getting better service for less money. It's so it's such a um, like when you say it like that, it seems ridiculous how that, you know, like. It seems ridiculous that this is a viable model. Like, why wouldn't we have been doing this all along? But it's um, I don't know, the, the just the engineering of how you've set this up is beautiful because well, you, you end you, up you said it right. You said it wise. There's so many straws in the milkshake, right? Yeah. Like there's there are so many people that benefit from this. It is very difficult to convince somebody that what they're doing is not correct, whether it's integrity or economically correct, if it impacts their ability to put food on the table. Right. right? Like there are so many people who are getting paid by this system. I mean, it's a, it's a, I, I think it's a $4 trillion system in the United States. That's feeding a lot of people, yeah. right? It's feeding making a lot lobbyists. of people rich also. Yeah. It's making a lot of people rich. I mean, you can look at all the health plan CEOs. They're all making, you know, 10, 20, $30 million a year. That's insane. Um, and so it's making a lot of people wealthy. It's paying a lot of people's food. And so there's no incentive for people to buck the trend. You know, I've been very um, just fortunate um, that my first company did really, really well. And so I am in a position now to be like, look, I'm going to take a hard home one run swing at this, <laughs> you know, and seeing if we can really like buck the system because, yeah. you know, ultimately it, it uh, you know, it's going to piss off the health plans. And if you're in the healthcare space, you don't want to piss, pick off the, piss off the health plans because you may have a hard time finding your next job, right? Sure. I don't need a next job. Um, I'm okay <laughs> with pissing off the health plans um, because I think it's the right thing to do um, ultimately. And look, you know, I kind of rip on the health plans. I don't think ultimately they're like bad people. They are just put in an economic environment where there are perverse incentives. Just a bad. And like game. you said, they're they're just they're just operating within the box that mostly the the legislative system within the United States has put them in. Like they put them in that that box, and they're they're trying to maximize profit with in that box, you know, so I, 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 I get it. Um, but it does, it is hurting people. Um, you know, in the United States, 250,000 families last year went bankrupt from medical debt, even though they had health insurance. So you have health insurance, you have a health event and you still go bankrupt. Like that's not insurance. That is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it feels like a, a Ponzi scheme to me. Like, it's just, it, and the cards will come crashing down at some point, I think. And I'm hopefully, you know, I'm the wind, the little puff of air that, that, yeah. that take all the cards down. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it really is this thing where health is a big problem right now. It also presents a huge opportunity. I think that um, as a company, if you can do something differently and mine out value that is just sitting there and not being used, like you said, these people in these companies are not bad people. Right. There's a, there's a few small subsection of people who are like psychopaths and do s- bad things. Yeah. But most people are good people 
caught in and in the medical world they're just caught in a bad game this game has sort of like entrenched itself because it's made so many people rich because that's the the incentives of society nudge us to play this game because mm-hmm. it's a game that we've played all along it's gotten out of control and it sounds like you're just creating a new game which is a better game which benefits humanity instead of benefiting um you know the share price of these massive companies and you know i work for a health network that specializes in feet and part of the health network is sort of this core group uh, this, this company a health intelligence company where we have a core group of people who are really take who really take their health quite seriously most of them are professionals and one thing we frequently ask ourselves and discuss as a group and and try and disagree have productive disagreements as much as we can is mm-hmm. what is health and so i guess my question to you is out of curiosity how do you define health hmm. because if we don't define health then we don't actually know where the lighthouse is that we're trying to get to so how does andy schoonover define health yeah, I mean, it's man, it's such a complex question. And it's a good one. And I'm, I might have to, you know, come back to you for a more eloquent, you know, answer. Um, because I, I, I think when you just say health, right, to, to the first thing to me says, there's multiple facets of health, you know, there's mind health, there's body health, there's spiritual health. And I think those are, in many ways, intertwined. Um, my, you know, it's, study after study has shown, you know, if, if, if you're not right in the mind, the body suffers and the, and, and the, the soul suffers, um, you know, and so, you know, what, what is health? Um, it's, it's, it's a really good, good question. I, I, I feel like I need a, a philosopher, like, you know, breed, breed love or somebody who, who will, who will, you know, help me with, with this, with this answer. I mean, I look, I, 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 I think it's health is being able to live your day, live your life to its full potential without impediments of, you know, the, the inverse of health, which is, you know, mind, body, or, or soulful sickness. Um, That's a pretty damn good answer. You know, and, and, and so, you know, if, if I'm impeded by any of, any of those kind of sickness with any of those three things, I don't feel like I'm living a healthy, a healthy lifestyle. Right. If I get up, I got up at two o'clock last night um, because I'm, you know, stressed about, you know, a, a couple things in life. And it's like, am, am I now healthy? Right. Like my my mind health probably is is wasn't great at that at that moment. Don't worry. Nothing big is going on. It's just, you know, just one of those. I'm, I'm, I'm a just parent to I'm a parent to two young children, which just creates <laughs> stress within <laughs> within life sometimes. Um, so it's all good. So I don't feel like I'm, I'm I feel healthy today, right? Um, because something is impeding my ability to to live a, a healthy lifestyle. So I'll have to get back to you on something more eloquent. But um, that's, okay. that's, that's kind of where good. my head went first. Yeah, this, like <clears throat> this health network I work for, we um, pay for our own quote unquote, clean social media platform. So basically the company pays whatever, a couple thousand dollars a year, we get our own, let's call it private version of Facebook. And it's free for anyone to join. But the one thing they got to do to join is answer the question, how do you define health? And so we have mm. thousands of uh, answers that people are saying, and, and awesome. it's very cool to be able to review the diversity of answers that people give. But it's also very interesting to try and, you know, the, the, the role of this health intelligence company is extract the signal from the noise, extract the wisdom from this collective uh, hive mind of all these people contributing ideas and talking about health. And, you know, one thing um, that I that I see in these answers is the, you know, the absence of disease. And I think 
that while that holds true, I think it's kind of a low bar, right? Because if you don't have disease, it, it, just not being in pain is a low bar to set for health. Like yeah, my totally. definition is the process of learning how to take better care of myself. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that definition is because I think many people view health as this endpoint destination where I want to be healthy. I want to get to this place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the fallacy there is that health is the health is an ongoing process of learning, of finding out what can I do to feel better. And there's not really an endpoint. You don't get to somewhere and say, okay, I'm healthy, my job's done. It's like, it's kind of an ongoing job. Um, yeah. And it, that kind of brings us to this, this whole language element, which I've always found very interesting. The language we use sort of forms our conception of what is health and what are, you know, we say healthcare system. I, in Canada, and from what I see in the United States, we don't have a healthcare system, we have a disease care system. Yeah. So we have a system that is there to take care of you when when health escapes you, right? When mm -hmm. disease or illness comes. So I find it really curious that we call what what is really disease insurance, we call health insurance. What is really disease care, uh, we call health care. And I think it's actually part of what fools us into thinking that there's actually health care in place. Um, you know, I think the best disease insurance is taking care of yourself every day. But I also think that our societal incentives nudges us to never being taught how to take care of yourself, right? right? Like we don't actually learn that. Like what better thing to learn in school um, than how to take care of yourself? What more practical knowledge could there be? And well, we learned this food pyramid, right? Yeah, that's total BS. It's like counterintelligence, which is like, <laughs> where the hell did this come from? Right? Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's an weird. awful thing that we're teaching our kids, and so we go and think that you know Doritos are good for us because they're <laughs> low in fat. Yeah, our Twizzlers are great for us because it has no fat right? Yeah. You're like, where the hell did this come from? Right? Um, so weird. It, it's, yeah, it's I, I always, crazy to I, me. I always joke that, you know, I, the avocados don't have a marketing budget, but Doritos do. So that's why you always hear yeah, about exactly. healthy Doritos, but never hear from the avocado community. Oh, and then you look at inequities in, in healthcare, because, you know, equity is a big thing right now, right? Especially in the United States. And it's like, well, you know, if you can afford Fritos and, you know, Pepsi, which is the cheapest thing, you know, on the shelf, what are you going to eat? Yeah. Right. You're going to eat Fritos and Pepsi. Right. And, and if you don't know better, that's going to lead to diabetes and sick care, which is what you're, what you're talking about. Um, so there's something, you know, again, very perverse about the way that we, we, we feed ourselves in this, this country, especially when it comes to folks in, in the lower income spectrum, which is, you know, crushing our country because it's really, really expensive to take care of those people. Um, but they, they, can hardly afford to buy anything else. Um, so it's it a whole nother a whole nother you know thing to talk about. Yeah, I think with I mean just to put a pin in that, like f we've essentially um, been tricked into thinking that nutritionism is the path, right? It's all mm -hmm. about nutrition, and we've along the way we've forgotten about food, which is actually unbelievably mm -hmm. simple uh, and straightforward. And not understanding food makes us. Uh, vulnerable to being tricked by the nutrition companies, right? Mm -hmm. Like our six pillars of health at the Foot Collective are movement, sleep, food, the mind, community, and money. And money we only added within the last year because we realized that if you use a form of money that steals your time, you actually never allow yourself to have the time to work on the other pillars. And those six pillars, as you kind of alluded to before, are bi-directionally interdependent, which means that you cannot work on one pillar and ignore all the others and expect your health to improve, right? They, they all affect each other as a two-way street. Um, 
And you know, one thing just to kind of because we only have ten minutes left, and I'd love to do a round two down the road because I got so many sure. more questions. Yeah, yeah no, I I feel um, like we have a lot of other things to talk about. Yeah, one thing I I really want to hear your take on is this idea that okay, if we become our incentives, and we want to put in place incentives that help people achieve better health. How do we, you know, like one project this health intelligence company has had on the shelf for a while, we just haven't had uh, like an actual tangible application to, to warrant us energizing it is creating a ruler for health, right? Like, and a good parallel, I think here is uh, your credit score. So your credit score is a, um, a representation of your credit worthiness, which is like, how much credit do you have? How risky is it to give you credit? And that determines like the rate and the amount of credit that you're given. And this whole idea that, okay, we have that in place and that allows us to incentivize ourselves to be credit worthy people. And it gives us a measuring stick, right? Like, how am I doing? Um, okay, I'm doing pretty good, maybe, you know, or I'm not doing good. How do we incentivize health? Because um, I think fundamentally what you're, you know, you talked about this with Marty briefly. It's like, we want to charge you. We, we want to, at the end of the day, incentivize people to be healthier so that they pay less premiums. Because if you're yes. um, having to pull out less money for disease care from the community, then you should be able to pay lower premiums. And I think fundamentally that makes a whole lot of sense. The question is, mm -hmm. how do we measure health? Because if we don't actually have a ruler to measure health, we have no uh, feedback mechanism to, to, to allow people to see, oh, what's my health score now? You know, compared to last year, am I doing better, worse? Um, does that get reflected in the amount of money I pay yeah. in my premiums? So how do we incentivize health? um in your mind even at a macro level because i think this is something that is so important it's so ephemeral because it's you know even health itself asking the people what is health is a hard enough question to answer and so if we don't even if we find it so hard to define the term and there's so mm -hmm. many elements packed into that how do we measure health in a tangible yeah, way how do you such collect that the we data, incentivize it right i mean you, you use the kind of the analogy of the credit score the data is there the credit yes. card companies you know provide the the data and mortgage companies and all these kinds of you know organizations provide that data how do i get data on how you're living your life right now to come up with that score i mean some mm -hmm. of it i think is is very clear you know if i got an apple watch i know how many steps i'm taking i know when i'm working out i know my heart rate is getting up to where it needs to be i know for how long your heart rate is up so i think exercise is a key component of a healthy lifestyle i think everybody would agree with that um, and so, you know, I could measure that. And we actually have in our roadmap, the ability to take that data off of Apple watches, if you want to provide it to us so that we can say, Hey, if you work out more than two times a week, um, you know, or eight times a month, then we will have a reduction in your, your, uh, contribution each month, um, because you are working out. There's also the ability of those Apple watches to Bluetooth into weight scales. So, you know, what you eat, right, is another key component of that. And so what you eat is, is most um, easily uh, measured through weight. It's not perfect. I understand not perfect, but it's, it is one measurement. Weight is a key indicator of chronic disease, you know, going forward. So, you know, if you can, you know, be within a weight span that, um, that is, we, is, is deemed healthy, that's the second data point. Um, you know, what are what are some other data points we can start collecting? Because we've got all these rem remote monitoring types of devices, right, that we can pull from to help us come up with that health score. If anybody else has any ideas on how we can collect that data, 
And then you come into like a privacy issue of like, hey, are you okay with me getting that data from you? Um, Because there is actual data out there that we have access to. Um, We could get, we don't get, I want to make sure that very, very clear. But I, 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 I can know what book you got at Barnes and Noble bookstore. Like that data is out there. The credit card companies have it. They, uh, they do anonymize it. So, um, but there is a way for me to know like what you're literally buying at the grocery store. Um, you know, and so I could grab that information, but that, that to me feels like a privacy issue. Like, yeah, I don't want anybody knowing I've got, you know, chocolate chip cookies last week. Like, you know, it's not <laughs> something that I prefer, you know, people to, to, to know. And so it's like, if anybody else else out there, you know, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or whatever has ideas of how we can capture more data to actually come up with this health score or you, you all work for a healthcare, a health intelligence company. Like I would, man, I'd, I'd love to get to, to hear that. I'd love to use it um, to the extent that our, my members are comfortable with me using it. Um, I think because I think it's a brilliant idea and, and incentivize if I can incentivize you to pay less, you got to feel it in the pot, the, the pocket book, right? Like yes. you got to feel it in the wallet. Um, or else you will not be incentivized by it. Back to incentivize. Yeah, um, we, we, the project uh, name was GHM, Global Health Metric. And the idea was, can we create a simple survey that can be done in two minutes by individuals on their phone in an app um, such that you get, that it can be done frequently? Because I think the more frequently mm-hmm. it's done, the better feedback people get to nudge them as to whether they're making progress or not. Um, part of it is subjective. Part of it is objective. I think movement screening, like... You know, one thing the network's playing with is this idea of creating community centers as physical areas that anchor a digital community because the community is mainly digital. And mm-hmm. I think having a physical space where people can connect and interact is very important. And the idea that, you know, it sounds like you're already kind of doing this. You're creating a network of professionals who, who love what you're doing, who want to be part of it, who want to be sent people. Um, the idea that you could, you know, make sure that a certain subset of movement professionals, physical therapists, chiros, whatever it is, can do movement screening, objective movement screening, and give people the equivalent of going in and get a tooth cleaning, right? Like the dentist nailed this model. Instead of waiting until one of your teeth rots or explodes, you go in once a year, you go to a hygienist, they check, see how you're doing. They let you know what's up uh, and they give you some advice, right? Like it looks like you have some stuff going here. What kind of things do you eat? You know, the idea of going in for an annual movement screen, being able to screen your movement objectively to say like, okay, well, these areas of your movement are not good. And, and that predisposes you to low back pain, knee pain, knee yeah. replacement, whatever it might be. And also creating a physical space where people can gather, right? The idea that, okay, you're overweight. Well, if you join this group, it's once a week for eight weeks and everyone talks about food and there's one health pro that leads it that essentially really understands food. If you go to that and the person leading it literally validates that you went to that and engaged, yeah. Well, then you get 10 bucks off your premium because it's proof of work that you're actually taking ownership to improving your health as it, with respect to food. So lots of ideas. We have tons of notes. Like I said, this project yeah, has been shelved because there's no, um, there wasn't a reason for us to really invest energy, but I'm happy I think, to I share all of our notes. Idea. I, I want to, you know, I'm always kind of a little leery of self-reported data, but if you can get a yeah. doc who's actually like, yeah, they're making progress. And again, you know, data is, is really great. I, you, you, you walk on that line of, of, of it creates value, but also has some privacy issues. Like how yep. do you walk that line? And our, our community ultimately has to be comfortable with it. Cause I'm not going to do anything where our community is like, see ya. I'm not of giving you whatever, because there is an opportunity here where we're well involved we're, the community. Yeah, exactly. Right. So 
we have um, virtual direct primary care, which is basically you can have primary care virtually as opposed to having to go into an office. Like, so you can mm -hmm. see your doc. Your doc will then give you um, an order to go and 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 see, uh, you know, get blood blood drawn, and so get all your, you know, kind of kind of key, you know, blood metrics worked out. And that's a way too, where you can say, okay, you know, you do have high cholesterol, right? Like, so let's let's help you figure out cholesterol. And if you can get your cholesterol down to within a reasonable level, then there's an opportunity for you to have a lower contribution because now you're less susceptible to heart disease. I'm making that as one example, right? Sure. Diabetes is a perfect one. Like, um, yes. you know, your blood sugar levels, which most of the time is calculated as, as A1Cs, which is just kind of your blood sugar level over a period of time. Um, if you can get your A1C down, you know, if you're a diabetic, then can you get a better rate, right? Like that, whereas like, I, I can incentivize people with dollars, it hits them in the, in the, in the wallet, right? Yep. Um, I think there's tons of opportunity for us to, to do that going, going forward. So, cause um, you're paying people to be healthy. Effectively what you're doing by creating financial incentives is creating a reason you're allowing people an outlet to pay themselves to be healthy, which comes as a discount to their monthly premiums. But yes, if you can exactly. do that, you fundamentally change the environmental nudge for them to actually seek health as a byproduct of incentives, right? Yeah. Instead of. Um, continuing to forfeit responsibility and saying, well, I have disease insurance. So even if I, ha I am diseased, uh, I'm covered. So I have no incentive to actually improve my health. Um, so I want to be sensitive to your time. I would love to do a round two and I'm happy to connect and share some of the stuff that we've been working on in the past. Yeah, I love that. Um, that sounds super cool. Please tell anyone listening where they can find out about crowd health um, and just the coordinates so that if they're more curious, because this is like you know, one of the impediments to me right now, Canada is not serving me very well in terms of aligning with my values. I think it'll return to being great, but right now it's come kind of on messy. down, come on well, down and, what, and join us. My primary obstacle, <laughs> um, even though, like, once again, the best health insurance, taking care of yourself every day. I haven't had to go into a hospital for at least five years. Um, and so, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, someone get in a car accident, someone hits me, I have a million dollar bill to pay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always been kind of like, you know, a little mm -hmm. element. Um, mm -hmm. But now now that crowd health exists and Austin is a hub for Bitcoiners, like I don't have a whole lot of obstacles anymore, but tell people where they can find about find out about crowd health. Yeah. So our, our crowd health Bitcoin version is found at crowdhealthbtc.com. So go on there. It'll ask right. you to sign up and you can use Bitcoin as the promo code. Um, and that gives you a, a $99 a month for uh, six months. Um, 75% of that will be converted to Bitcoin. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, join crowd health, uh, on Twitter, join crowd health on Instagram, pretty much all the social media, um, platforms we're, we're on. So come and join us, follow us. You can kind of see what we're up to. So we'd love for you to join us. Powerful. Andy, thank you again for joining us at the Bitcoin Stoa. I look forward to doing a round two at some point. Yeah, man. Um, check out Crowd Health if you're listening, especially if you live in the United States. Any thoughts on ever coming to Canada? Because like there's, I, I won't get into it, but there's a market to do something like that here because the system we have in place sucks. We, we have so many people reaching out. It is it is on our roadmap. So I can't tell you okay, when. Cool. It is, we have we have you know, beyond the United States, Canada has been the one that's like, please come to Canada because our system is totally sucks. If you ever do Canada, I have like, like I said, I was a practicing physical therapist. I got out because I was like, the incentive structure is so toxic. We should probably try and incentivize health with tools that empower people to reclaim yeah. health. But if you ever do Canada, I would love to help because I think I have some good insights you know. there. 
And awesome. uh, yeah, to everyone listening, thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to support the project, head to bitcoinstoa.com. You can send some, some sats to the QR code on the homepage. Uh, we will catch you next time. Andy, thanks again. And stick around for a second. We'll sign off when we're done. All right. Ciao for now, folks.